So I'm going to blaze through this um, intro material. Uh, we're going to start a winter's walk through the book of Philippians. It was a letter written in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. And for me, if there is like one letter that were to remain and all else lost from Paul's writings, I would want it to be Philippians because there are some passages in, in the book of Philippians, again, written as a letter to uh, Christians at the church in Philippi, um, they're, they're just incredible life concepts, quotes, inspiration, and we're going to try to walk through that uh, over the next six weeks or so. Um, Paul wrote the book of Philippians when he was on house arrest, and I'll walk you through that in a minute, but one of the main themes, and again, I'm just kind of flying through this, and we'll break it down a lot over the next few weeks, but one of the main themes is uh, Paul's affection for this church because they supported him. So Paul started the church there in Philippi and has these Christians that he spent time with, and now he is on house arrest and he can't get out. And and you see the church's heart for him and his appreciation for their love for him and their support for him, financial and otherwise. And there's just this mutual partnership where they're doing what they do because of him and he's doing what he does because of their support. support. And, and there's this, this oneness, this togetherness. So let me look at one passage of Scripture um, from Philippians here in chapter 1. <clears throat> I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of my gospel. So there's this theme in Philippians of partnership, churches, Christians, pursuing oneness at all costs, unity at all costs, uh, doing things together to impact God's kingdom in their own corner of the world, in their own culture and context, but then also together. So uh, a few years ago, uh, we helped this guy named Big Cleve and his wife Krista uh, as they started this ministry now called Revolution 216 in Cleveland. And uh, we helped them financially. We helped them hopefully in some other ways as well and still have a, a friendship with them. And I want to make sure that, I mean, a lot of new people at Polaris ha- have never met and have no idea. So I want you to see our partnership. I want you to learn from their passion, from Cleve's passion uh, up here today. Um, but I want to I want to show you our unique connection with the book of Philippians. So, um, and, and uh, this is also going to be a before and after picture. Come on up. Please welcome Marcus Evans, a.k.a. Big Cleave. So, uh, Paul got himself in trouble. This is Paul, not Cleave. Um, He got himself in trouble in Jerusalem. Um, He... The, the Jewish people of his time were threatened by Paul because he's making all these uh, converts to Christianity, which was seen as like an unwanted uh, offshoot of Judaism, a cult, if you will. And so he ends up in Jerusalem, and they see him in the temple, and they assume that he's bringing some of his Gentile, non-Jewish converts with him into the temple. 
and they, they cause this, they run him out of the temple, they cause this riot. All of a sudden, the Roman guard arrest Paul and mistreat him, and then they find out that he's a Roman citizen, which was a big no-no. So, Paul is transferred from judge to judge and king to king and leader to leader because they're trying to figure out what do we do with this guy? He's a Roman citizen. Um, He's wanted by the Jews, but we don't have a reason to, to hand him over to them for execution and whatever. So he ends up in an area known now as Caesarea Maritima. So let's take a look at the, the slide of the water. Show me the picture of the water. That is uh, the ruins of Caesarea Maritima where Paul would have stood trial before he was placed on house arrest. Now, look at the bottom left corner. You see this big black dude that showed up when I was there in um, Caesarea Maritima. Now look at the next slide. Um, that is a, an aqueduct. And, and I end up next to this huge black man, and we do this pose-down contest. I won hands down. Um, <clears throat> that was before. He was, already, he was starting that then. Uh, anyway, that's Marcus Evans. We got to go to the Holy Land together. Now, uh, talk, talk us, just give us an introduction, you and your family, for people who don't know you, and then maybe even talk a little bit about the transformation between Big, big Cleave and less big, tall cleave. By the way, one of my favorite things to do when we go to Panera or someplace, one of the first things I will do is say something out loud to make everybody think that you're a retired NBA player and watch everybody try to figure out who you are. So I I don't know if you guys have been praying for him, but obviously it hasn't worked. So anyway, uh, (laughs) he still looks the same. All right, so anyway, uh, first of all, my name is Marcus Evans. I'm, I'm called... Big cleave. I don't use the word big anymore because obviously, in this picture, I weighed about 315 pounds. Uh, I weigh 240 pounds now. Um, thank you very much. Thank you very much. About 15% body fat and all that good stuff. Doing CrossFit and all that good stuff. So, uh, and then my wife chasing me around the house. So, uh, but no, but we started the Revolution 216 uh, in 2011. That's right. And. Um, in the inner city of Cleveland, lived there. I'm born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Those who don't know me, um, I got my name from being in the gang. Uh, Been shot at, stabbed. Uh, Father was a crackhead. Uh, I had rats and roaches as cousins in my home. Um, Anything you probably have stereotyped on TV, I've experienced in real life. Um, But I'm also uh, two college degrees, tried out for the Cavaliers, been around the world. Uh, spoke on stages of thousands of people, spoke on stages of one person. I've been in situations where I'm reaching out to the community and people putting out guns, walked through projects. Uh, I've done some stuff and seen some stuff. The only reason I'm alive is because of the Most High. Are you with me? You listening to me? Say yes. All right. Well, we're going to talk in here today. Is that all right? That's what I'm used to. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit. But, but the reality is that is through this partnership, me and me, Alex will tell you, I don't like a lot of people. I mean, I grew up not liking a lot of people. And, and I'm going to be very honest with you, because and, and, we're going to be pretty candid today. I didn't, I didn't trust people who didn't have a lot of melanin. Okay, that's you, white people. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Just like, all right? And uh, he has been a, a very big help. When we first got off the plane in Israel, listen to me, about how many pastors was it? About 20 pastors, whatever it is. The first person that they pulled to the side 
was me. I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying, and I'm pretty alive right now. You understand me? And the only person in the whole group to stop, reluctantly, I must say, was Alex. This people from the Messiah, this is their secret services, pulled me to the side and said, what are you doing in my country? And I'm like, you just see all these 30, 20 white people walk past you, and you're going to stop the big black man? And she stopped me, and she grilled me. And, and, and what I know about the Mossad is that if you, you tell them what you need to tell them, or you'll be in the back room somewhere being tortured. And so I said, I'm here on a pilgrimage. Alex is the only one who stopped. And from that day, Alex been my man. <laughs> all right? So we have a great partnership. It's my brother. But well, we're going to talk a little bit. The revolution has done some incredible things, and we'll just talk as we go. Is that all right? I said we're going to talk. Is that all right? All right. Come on, help him out. So, all right, now wake up. You came so, out in this cold. <laughs> so talk about um, your, mo like there, a couple things. Um, first of all, your, your motivation, what, why do you, what do you do and why do you do, why do you care? What are you after? What are you trying to build? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's start with that. Well, first, of, it, Cleveland is the fifth most dangerous city in the nation. It's always been that way for me. You know, I, I grew up in a neighborhood where there's, there's churches on every corner. So there's liquor stores, churches, gas stations, McDonald's, okay? And so for me, it was like, okay, if, if, if God is supposed to care about people, then why isn't this neighborhood changing? Are y'all listening to me? All right? So a lot of questions came for me. I grew up in church. My mom took me to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday. We was at choir rehearsal, but I was not seeing the change in the neighborhoods that the book that I was reading or people were preaching from was promising. Are you listening? And so for me, the question was, well, if this is real, then why is it in a reality in the neighborhoods that I'm living in? Okay? Oh, uh, you hear me. Thank you, brother. So the problem for me is that I left church. I went away from God. I went away from the Most High, and I started pursuing other things, start gangbanging, start getting really into my basketball, doing the things that I'd done because I thought that it was fake until I had an experience. So once I had an experience, something like, like what, what Paul would talk about in, in the book of Acts, when I had my Damascus experience, for me, that became so real that I, it, it became my, my passion, it became uh, my driving force to, to, to bring to the hood what I experienced. Because obviously, they were not experiencing it. Hey, why, why not? Why wasn't? Why weren't those churches, in your opinion, why weren't those churches making a difference? Well, this, this, here's the problem, and this is a big deal. It seemed like the more churches came, the worse it got. That's antithetical to the, to the gospel, when you, when you agree. If the good news is supposed to change your life, then why would it change? So for me, there's a disconnect because it became more about the church building than building the church. Are you listening to me? Okay, so that word is important when you see church in Scripture. The word there is a Greek word called ekklesia, but it, it doesn't mean church. It means called out ones. Now, let me help you real quick. I got to walk. Let me walk a little bit. All right, so when it says called out, the problem when we misunderstand the text you is that— You may have to turn the lights up so you can see him. Uh, be quiet. So when—, when, when you're shining real bright, white man. So listen, so—, but, but, 
You know, you tell we are really, really good friends. So the reality is that if you don't understand the tech, there's a misunderstanding. And when there's a misunderstanding, there is a misrepresentation in how you live. I tell people all the time, when you teach backwards, you live backwards. Listen to this. So what happens is, in the text, it means to be called out. It means to be set apart, Kadesh in Hebrew. So what happens is, you have people who've been told and taught that the church building is what's important. And they don't realize that when the scripture is talking about the church or called out ones, he's talking about people. So instead of building people, we build big buildings. So all through the hood, it's a bunch of big buildings, ain't it? Bunch of monuments that people go to to get an emotional fix, but they never get changed. When you end up in a situation where you go to get a fix, you're no different than a crackhead. So we got a bunch of church people in the hood, they ain't nothing but a bunch of Jesus crackheads. Are you listening to me? But no change. And because there's no change in them, they can't, they can't possibly see any change in the communities they live in. When there's no change in you, you don't bring the change with you. When you just go to get your fix, you get your fix and you go home back to your situation. And your situation never changed. But when your situation never changed, your life never changed. And if your life never changed, why would I want to go to something that didn't change you? Are you listening to me? One of the reasons that I work so hard on my weight is because I know a lot of preachers who would preach real good, sweat all on the pulpit and all this stuff, but they're at home gluttonous and eating up everything and can't walk. And this is how they used to preach in my neighborhood. <laughs> and the Bible says, <laughs> and then <laughs> and I was like, he's going to die. He's about to die. <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy. Are you listening to me? Huh? So you got to be able to, to translate, to be able to actually live out this life. And so it became a passion of mine, Revolution 216. Revolution means to suddenly change. And that's what happened to me. I went from a guy who was from the city, who was game-banging, who was a womanizer, who was hurt, who was in pain, to a person who loved people, who actually went out of his way to engage people, to being a one-woman man. Ain't that right, boo-boo? Huh? That's the passion I have to see people actually being changed. But you can't change if you haven't been changed. Are you listening to me? Let's talk a little bit. Come on, next question. Hey, um, okay. So, uh, and you guys get a kind of a look at that. Would you agree, even just from this little bit here? It's cold. You could probably, it is, I know, I know. That's, that's all right, that's all right. It, it is, I grew up with no heat ridiculous, Come on, let's it? go. Um, so, speaking of cold. Uh-huh. You could do what you do. You could go uh, probably to Charlotte, go to a mega church, mm-hmm. be a youth pastor, no. teach. But seriously, 700, 800, 900 kids. You could bring kids flocking in, Easy. make $120,000, $130,000 a year. And you, you could get it. You could get it. But instead, you're here. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you, you ain't making $120,000 uh, no, a year. No, um, Why in the world are you here? It's negative four out right now. Uh, you could go anywhere, get a good job, mm-hmm. pack them in, mm-hmm. regional fame, more so than even you have now, regional True. fame. No question. Um, why? Why? Well, my wife would tell you, when I graduated from Marshall University in West Virginia, go her, uh, what happened was, 
we were actually offered a church in Atlanta. Remember that? And he, this is how he started the conversation. You'll make $150,000. you will have about 400 to start people. And then in a couple of years, you'll have about 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people. Now, at the time, I was like, hmm. But in that moment, I knew it's not what the most high God would want me to do. Are you listening to me? So, it bull crap. So anyway, uh, <laughs> that sounds great. And I almost said a uh, explicitive, you pray for me, all right? Because uh, it's warm a lot of places, you understand me? But the reality I think, I is think this. I think Norm's in Florida, so Ooh, you're good. Listen, go but we had, we had a lot of offers to go other places. And, and this, this is the truth. When you, when you know what you're made to do. Let me ask you a question. If, if, if we don't change this city, our region, who will? That's the truth. Everybody complains. Come on, hands up all the people who know, you know, you know complainers. Come on, hands up. Oh, I hate my situation. I hate, I'm too this, I'm too that, I'm broke, I'm blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change until we what? Let's say it together, everybody. Come on. Until we change it. And that burden was so on me. And my wife would tell you, I got a tattoo of Cleveland on me. I, I mean, I love my, I'm called Big Cleve. Can you imagine me pastoring in Charlotte as Big Cleve? You going to call me Big Charlotte? I mean, I'm not Big Charlotte. It's who I am. And so I, we, and my, my, my wife would tell you, she has, she has cried, baby, let's just go. We started a church. Let's just move to Houston. Let's move to move. We, we, we would do so much. You're so great. You speak so well. You're so articulate. You, you, you're able to put together teams. This city, it just, they got a bad attitude. They don't know how. And I just said, baby, this is what I was called to do. If you're going to Houston, you're going without me. That I would lose my best friend for this. My children for this. That I would be out in the streets for this. That's how much passion. I can make a lot of money. I got two college degrees. I'm very resourceful. I've started plenty of businesses, and they failed, and I started again, and I've done. And listen, we've been in houses where I have been given, I have spoken to, to schools with 500 kids, standing ovation, only to go home to get a, a eviction notice. Because the money didn't come in from the church that week. And I wrote my sermons, walked the streets anyway. Stood in front of hundreds of people who gave a dollar, 30 cents anyway. Why? Because my passion is not about the money. My passion is the people. Because if you build the people, he'll take care of you. The problem is we don't really trust him. We say we do. We hear sermons about it. I live this. This is what I do. I really believe this. So my wife is in tears sometimes. My children, they are oblivious because we really believe this. And then the Most High comes out of nowhere and just take care of us. Because you can't say you believe something if you don't really what? Believe it. If you don't really want to live this, then why would I follow somebody who don't believe this? That's why Alex still trusts me. He know I'm serious about this. He's been there. He's seen the offerings. This is what y'all got? What? How are you surviving? And guess what I say? I don't know. 
trusting it, living it, walking it out, because I actually believe what I believe. Are you listening? No games, no gimmicks. You've been knowing this. Some of you have been here a long time. You know I don't play around when it comes to this. This is serious business for me. So that's how. Next question. All right. Let's, let's talk a little bit about um, unity yeah. and yes. uh, reconciliation, race stuff. Yeah. Um, mel- melanation. Melanation, because mel- I don't believe in race. Melanation. Um, so uh, I know one of my things deep down, like just, and I certainly have not been a champion of this yet, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like it's something that I want to be true of my life eventually. Um, something always on my heart is, is um, racial healing, racial unity, restoration, forgiveness, all that. Mm-hmm. And one of the mantras that, that I've been like just, you know, that, that has, uh, my soul has been marinating in is um, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And this is, I think, the more opinionated you are, uh, especially the more opinions you have about other people, whether it be uh, Republican, Democrat, white, black, Hispanic, uh, race, creed, whatever. Um, your first step is to do all you can to understand what makes a person tick. Mm-hmm. So there's there's this there's this um, uh, this this label this thing called the 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 dual narrative dynamic. Mm -hmm. And the dual narrative dynamic is what makes uh, peace talks and reconciliation so difficult because it essentially says that I can have a narrative, an understanding of the way things are that were given to me by my parents and by people I trusted growing up, and then all of my experience, and this is Republican, Democrat, race, whatever, all of my experiences then reinforce that narrative, and so I can pass a lie detector test truly believing this is the way things are, and this is what my experience has always been, Mm -hmm. while another person has an equal and opposite narrative, and it's been reinforced by everything that they've seen, and they grow up believing that to be true, so we come into the room completely believing what we believe, and it's completely opposite of each other, and it creates a lot of barriers from actually making peace. Let me give you a quick example. Um, at the queue the other day, um, we were there for a Monsters game with my in-laws, and I was waiting for my wife to show up and because um, she had picked a, a lesser... Um, effective route to get there, even though I told her not to go that way. And I was there an hour before she was there, literally. And I'm waiting at this gate. I'm waiting at this gate, and there's a there's a Cleveland uh, police officer in full garb, vest, all that. And and I walked over to him with no fear whatsoever, and I asked him what's going on with the traffic. And now, but this is because when I grew up. My parents, my school teachers, everybody said police are our friends. They are helpful. If you have a problem, go to them. The best case scenario, if you're lost as a little boy, find a cop. Cops are the good guys. They keep the bad guys away from you. They help you. They protect you. So I go up to this police officer. There's no fear. I make eye contact, and I say, hey, um, what's going on with the traffic? And he explained that he didn't know. He then, for the next 15 to 20 minutes, just started making small talk, and he talked, 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 to the point where I was like, all right, I'm kind of ready to be done, but I could, I'm, I'm at the gate. He knows why I'm at the gate, so I can't just, like, go stand over there. That would be rude. 
So finally, Kelly texts me that she's in her seat. So I said, oh, my wife's here. We shook hands. He said, hey, what's your name? I said, I'm Alex. He said, I'm John. And I said, thanks for keeping us safe. And I walked away. It was a very pleasant experience, everything you'd want it to be. I get to the concourse where I'm ready to go to my seat, and one of the hockey players had gotten some kind of a foul. I don't know what they call it. I don't know anything about hockey. But he was going to the penalty box, so they played on the PA system Whoop, whoop, that's the sound of the, you know, the KRS-One, the old, which, was a, which is a, was a hip-hop song about how police are not to be trusted, and he compared officers to overseers, slave overseers on plantations, because his narrative was very different than mine. His narrative, obviously, cops are, in many cases, the enemy. So we have this dual narrative dynamic, and there are many different cases where we have dual narrative dynamics In addition to police, how else do you see dual narrative dynamic as a problem? And does that just mean we're at an impasse? Or is there anything that can be done with this? Uh, Well, what he's saying is is true. I didn't grow up trusting police. Um, Part of that dual narrative is that the police comes out of this thing called the slave patrol. That they, the slavers created the slave patrol to bring back the slaves to the plantations. And if you look at the badges from the historical perspective, they're the same. So now, I wouldn't say the police today think that way, but there's some connection there. Um, his experience and my experience are totally different. I would never go up to a police officer and just start talking to him. I just wouldn't. I've had experiences where I've dropped my daughter off to school around the corner from my home, turned down my street, looked at a police officer in the face, and he turned his lights on, pulled me over in my driveway with my other daughter in the car, gun drawn, said I had no seatbelt on. I've been walking in Brunswick and got pulled over walking. Walking. He said, pull over. He said, pull over. <laughs> I said, when me pull my Nikes over, what you want me to do? I mean, it's happened to me. Uh, but I have cousins, family members who are police officers. They have to be very safe because they can't be who they are because of who they are. Are you listening to me? So you hear this dual narrative. And, 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 and I have homeboys who are Caucasians who they, they act crazy in front of police. And I freeze. I'm like, y'all, what are y'all doing? Shut up. They be like, no, no, no. It's my right. I'm like, shut up. It's my that's right. What, that's what we sound like. I do what I want to do. <laughs> you work for me. I'm like, shut up. So what, what do we do? What, how do we deal with this? The dual narrative is, is the, the, the empathy. What we're missing is empathy. Everybody say empathy. Now, every Caucasian, or let me say this, non-melanated person, because I hate using these words. I, I, I don't like, because listen, think about the labels. If one, one of the things that's a problem, okay, race was created to, to divide. Do you understand that? Okay, it's a chemical in our skin. It's what it is. So if, if you don't know that, somebody has more melanin and somebody doesn't, then we start talking about white race, brown race. First of all, Mexicans are not brown. 
I'm brown, okay? I'm not black, and I don't see anybody who's white in here. I see white shirts. I see white paper. I see pink people, maybe peach, uh-uh. A little bit of red, depends on how, how uh, uh, red, because he's just embarrassed, like, oh, my goodness. Red, but I don't see any white people. So let's, let's stop the label. So once you, once you kind of buy into that narrative, then you start saying, I'm this, I'm that, Democrat, Republicans. Really, let's be honest, there's rich and poor people. They used to be a middle class, but now that's going away. Are you listening to me? Say yes. So if you know these things, you, kinda, you don't kind of buy into that. You start to think critically not on what you were taught. One. So let's track together. So what I do is I like to get to know people. Everybody say people. Now, there are people here. Any people in the room? Hands up, people. Any aliens? Come on, raise your hand if you're alien. Tell me now so I can get out. All right? So once you get to know people, there's something. We have Caucasians. We have Irish people, German people, Arab people. We have all kinds of people from ethnic groups. Everybody say ethnic groups. You know what that is, right? All right, so there's different ethnicities. But listen, there's no such thing as white, black, green. But stop that. It's madness. So what I've learned is how do I get to know somebody? Anybody want to help me out? Come on, hands up. Somebody help me real. How do you get to know somebody? Talking to them. Once I talk to you, then I realize we might have something in what? Common. Oh, common. Everybody say common. Common is the root word to what? Community. In community, you have common. You have the word communication is the same thing. Then you have this word. At the end of that word, it's called what? Unity. You cannot have unity in community without first having something in common, which is created through what? Communication. How am I going to learn your story if I never ask you what your story is? Here's a problem. Most of us have created a story about somebody before we ever know that person. That's called judging. And I remember in the scripture, judge not lest ye be what? Judge with the same measure that you judge. Oh, we all God's people. Are we? Do you really believe that? Because if you believe that, would you treat your brother the way you treated some people? Would you treat your daughter the way you treat other people's daughters? Would you treat your, the people you say is less than you like that if you knew that they were actually related to you? It's lies and garbage. The truth of the matter is, once again, we go back to believing. Do we actually believe what we say we believe? I'm a human being. So are you. And all of us need each other if we're going to get through this time. Are you listening to me say yes? And the only way to do that is to actually sit down and have a conversation. Cleve, why do you think the way you think? Hey, Becky, why do you think the way you think? Joe, why do you do the things you do? What made you? Well, I grew up where it was nothing but people around me that looked like me, and we used to think this way, and I heard my father and mother say things like this, and you know what? I heard my father and mother say some things like this, and they told us not to trust these people, and then when I watch TV, all I see is these stats, when the reality is that those stats can be skewed by anybody who has an agenda or propaganda to do something to keep us all divided, because if we ever become united in the United States of America, we might see some things change. If I'm scared of you and you're scared of me, then how are we going to change something? 
If you're afraid that when 10 black people walk in your restaurant or come in your neighborhood that the neighborhood's going to go down, or if I see white people, I'm thinking they're going to kill me and hang me on a rope. If I see this, the art right all on TV with, 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 with polo shirts and, and tiki torches, and you see, look at the rappers and they doing all this. Hey, my man, you the man. But the reality is, if this is what we believe about people, when my wife in, in one breath can say Tupac and speak, talk about Shakespeare in the next breath, when my children are so articulate and smart and beautiful, and you got the same beautiful, wonderful kids, and you, have, you, you know, I know about cryptocurrency, I can help somebody here. You know about investments? Yeah, you like that feel here. Cryptocurrency, my man. Huh? We could be helping each other. We could be changing things, but we cannot change. You know why we cannot change? Because the only story we believe is a story in your head. The Browns are going to win this year. That's a lie. It's a bad story. Ooh, Bill, do you got your shirt on? Show, stand up and show what's on the back. Owen 16. 16. Wow. Go ahead, sorry. You're the man, bro. <laughs> Did you go to the, the parade? You're smart. I was so embarrassed. Everybody, I couldn't believe it. Look at, look at, look at, think about this mindset. Somebody thought we was going to win this year. Somebody in this room. You believe the story that the Cleveland Browns are going to actually win. That's a lie. You've got to change the narrative. No, let me stop playing. But the reality is, think about that. Look at the things we've been conditioned. Some of us are actually believing in a team that does not want to win. Some of us actually have ideas in our mind that have not changed our lives. It's antithetical to your, your life moving forward. And so you're thinking that this person is that way and this person is that way when we need to ask the question, what is your story? How did you get this way? What, what happened to you? Why do you believe these things? Blah, 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 blah. And then we have a conversation. You're like, man, you believe, you like the same stuff. I love CrossFit. And what I heard is Kathy, who, Kathy, who, BB? She ain't, she ain't here. She do CrossFit too. You think me and Kathy BB doing Annie or doing some kind of workout where we doing squats and thrusters? You think we're going to talk about who's black, who's white? No, we're going to be like, when is the, the 10 minutes up? Huh? If you have something I have and I have something you have, do you think I care about your less melanin? I know. Can you help me, please? Are you listening to me? And that's the thing, and then respecting that. See, there's a story from our side. There's a story from your side. Some of you guys come from immigrants. Some of you guys come from, from situations that are horrible. Some of us come from situations that were great. We bridge it together. Now we have a real community. But it only comes when you empathize with the people you're around you. I, I don't know your story. I can't judge you because you, you live in Brunswick. I used to live in Brunswick. I can't judge you because you got an Owen 16 shirt on. He's actually a Steelers fan. Oh, I can't judge you for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, we got to land the plane. We'll have to call some audibles for the second service here. Um, I, uh, 
I think, I feel like it is time for us to do more together mm. and figure out what that looks like. Um, and so let this be the intro to the next chapter mm. of Revolution 216 and Polaris. And um, let's, let's pray. And then uh, we'll dismiss. And um, is that okay, Marcus? If we okay. Oh, All right, you're talking so about me. Let's do that. What's that? Oh, yeah. I was say means. no. It's not okay. No. <laughs> uh-huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, uh, the Evans. Thank you for the Cleves and their passion for the city and the sacrifices that they make and the triumphs that they uh, have experienced and the suffering in your name that they have endured. And I want to pray that you would very clearly guide us together as your followers, first and foremost. That's our identity. Um, Our identity is Jesus. And through him, guide us toward more significant partnerships, more oneness, more unity. And um, I pray that, that our efforts would make you proud and expand your kingdom, and that both areas would win. Both areas would find redemption in their own respective ways, both here in Brunswick and Cleveland and South Euclid. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You're dismissed. (laughs) All right, let me go to the back so I can...